Good morning, church. Hope you're doing well today. This is a special day in the life of our church as we continue with our service of ordaining our three new deacons. A special and holy time in the life of this congregation. Let me remind you that as, as I begin my time together, we are focusing on this new commandment that Jesus offered to us. If you remember in John chapter 13, it's just right before Jesus is betrayed. It's right before He leads His disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And He tells them in that moment, in that kind of last words moment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And that all men, all women would know that you're my followers, you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so over these weeks, we are asking the question, what does it mean to love one another? Our world is filled with all kinds of definitions and expressions of what love is. As I've said before, love is, I believe, one of the most overused and misunderstood words in the English language. And so we're asking that question, okay, okay, Lord, if you have given us a new commandment to love one another as you have loved us, what does that mean and what does that look like? And today we focus on the aspect of loving others by serving others. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5 and, and chapter 6. If you remember last week, we began with Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And in those scriptures, what we learned was that to love one another means that there are times and seasons in our lives when we must restore one another, where we, we fall to temptation, where we are overrun by sin, and we need the body of Christ, we need each other to come alongside of us and to restore and to renew us. And in verse 2 there in chapter 6, Paul continues and says that means that there are times when we must carry one another, we must bear one another's burdens. Understanding and recognizing that there are seasons of life where, where a burden comes along, a diagnosis comes along, a, a tragedy in life comes along, and it sets us back, it knocks us down, it casts us to our knees. And in those moments, we need each other to carry one another, to bear our burdens with us and even for us. And so we've already seen how that to love one another, to love one another as disciples of Christ, as, as the body of Christ means that we, we carry one another's burdens, we restore one another in our sin and temptation. And today we, we back up a few verses and how fitting and appropriate today on, on this day that we ordain three new deacons that we answer this question that we allow Paul to instruct us on what it means to love one another with his words that we are to serve one another. Let's begin in chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And he goes on and talks about what it means to, to, to be um, subject again to this yoke of slavery, this yoke of the law, the burden of the law. And we pick up in verse 13. For you, those who are followers of Christ, those who are his disciples, for you were called to freedom, 
Doesn't that sound good? You are called to be free. You are called to be free, brethren, but do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So today as we talk about what does it mean to love one another, we must understand that foundational to loving each other means that we serve one another. I've shared with you before, one of the, the most significant and meaningful times of my life was, was right after I graduated from, from the University of Oklahoma, I spent two years in Panama and I worked at a, a church camp. And there were three of us. There was myself, a, a, a missionary, full-time missionary, and his wife worked there. And then we had a, a Panamanian, uh, was a camp administrator. And, and the three of us ran and, and facilitated and, and ministered at this camp. And I'll never forget the, the life lesson that my, my supervisor taught me. You remember back in the days, and, and I would say, I'm so thankful for the evolution of eight-foot tables. Some of you may appreciate this. Back in the day, an eight-foot table weighed like 100 pounds. <laughs> and today, there are these nice plastic tables, and you can pick them up and throw them around however you want to. But back in the day, they were, they were pretty, pretty heavy and difficult to manage by yourself. And so my, my supervisor would say to me, as we were, would be moving chairs and tables in the, in the cafeteria, getting ready for different groups in the, in the sanctuary, the multi-purpose area, moving tables and chairs around, he would say to me, Wade, when I pick up one end of the table, I expect you to be on the other end of the table. Why do we need to waste time, me standing here, waiting for you to get behind the table? And what he was teaching me was to be aware to be aware of, of my surroundings and to anticipate, anticipate where I could come alongside of him and where I could serve and where I could help him. And then not just to be aware, but then to act. And so I learned this incredible life lesson. Now I confess that I don't always follow it very well, but it's been one that stuck with me and that I try to, to apply to be aware, where, how, how can I help others? How can I be aware of the circumstances around me? And how can I anticipate someone's need so that in that moment that they need, I can act by picking up the end of that table? And we are to be men and women that are aware, that are anticipating, and that are acting in a way that we can lift that table in whatever form that would take to serve and to help someone else. We started with John 13, and again, I'm reminded that a few verses before there, the chapter starts with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. He says, I've given you an example, an example that you are to, to, to follow after me, that you're to look and to see and to be aware of where and how others around you might need their feet washed, and that you're to follow that example. In Mark chapter 10, one of the, uh, the most forming and shaping passages in my life, one that when I read and began to understand, really changed the way I understood life and, and following after Christ. And Jesus said, I have not come to this place in order to be served, 
But I, now, now who's I? I, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, I, the one who spoke the world into existence, I am the one that came to serve. For you see, in my kingdom, the greatest, the greatest are those that understand this principle and, and have committed their lives to serving others, to serving one another. And so Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment that I give you that you'd love one another as I have loved you, as I have washed your feet, as I have come not to be served, but rather to serve. It's interesting that that passage in Mark begins with the story of the rich young ruler. Well, Lord, if the rich young ruler can't find eternity, who, who can? Those that serve. Those that come alongside of others and love them through their life, through acts of service. Now, back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, again, the Scripture tells us that Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not stand firm, or keep standing firm. Do not be subject again. Do not allow yourself again to become a slave. A slave to the old ways. A slave to, to religion. A slave to the law. You've been set free from that. You've been set free from the legalisms of religion of what you've been taught and what you've learned. And look down at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In one monologue, in one word. The law, remember the law? The law is focused, the law is summarized in ten words. The Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments. And what Jesus is saying here is that the law is summarized. We've been set free from that law. Why? Because now there's just one word. And that one word is that we're to love others and to serve them as we love ourselves, as Christ has loved us. Let's not make this complicated. One word, not 10, not 20, not 30. And if you're familiar with the history of the Old Testament, what they did was they took those 10 words, the, the 10 commandments, and they multiplied them and they added to them and they, they made clauses and exceptions and rules around them. And their 10 words, again, became 20 words and 30 words and 50 words and 100 words. And it became too complicated and too burdening. And, and, and people felt like they were chained in slavery to this law. And Jesus came and set us free from that law. But notice what else Jesus says in verse 13. You've been set free now. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. You see, Christ has set us free. He set us free from the law, but He's also set us free from license. From license. This word opportunity can mean a jumping off point. Your salvation, your relationship with Christ is not a jumping off point for sin. It's not a jumping off point for, uh, for the flesh, for self-indulgence, for selfish pleasure. But rather, your freedom is now a jumping off point for love. Your freedom is a jumping off point for selflessness, for sacrificial service to others. 
You see, our freedom is not an opportunity to jump off for the flesh, but rather to jump off in a life of service to others. There's so many, so many believers, so many that would say they'd want to follow Christ, and they think that what Jesus did on the cross is their get-out-of-jail-free card for Monopoly. It means they can do whatever they want to, and they, that God's going to forgive them, so I can go and sin because, as Paul says in, in Romans chapter 6, the Romans said, you mean the more we sin, the more grace we receive? Well, let's go sin. <laughs> and how many of us have adopted that same attitude towards life and towards the flesh? Oh, oh Jesus will forgive me. He, he, he died for me on the cross. I can do whatever I want to. And we have our license to sin. We get baptized, we walk down the aisle, we make our confession, and, and we, we get our license. I can do whatever I want to now. And Paul says in Romans 6 to answer the Romans, may it never be. <laughs> of course this isn't right. Paul says here, your salvation is not a license, it's not an opportunity for the flesh, but rather, rather, your salvation is an opportunity to love others through service. Christ has set us free indeed. And He has set us free to serve one another. William Barclay says this, he says, The Christian is not the man who has become free to sin, but rather is the man who by the grace of God has become free not to sin. We, we no longer are held in chains by our flesh, but we can find freedom and victory from the sin that would so entangle us and captivate and enslave us. Christian freedom. Christian freedom is to be used to love and to serve one another. And if we'll commit to that life, what we'll discover is what Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. The great paradox of the Christian life is that true freedom, true freedom in life, the way we were created by our Creator, true freedom is found in serving others, not in being served by them. Some of you are familiar with Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. One of the love languages that he identifies is called acts of service. He, call, he tells the story of Mark and Mary. Mark and Mary are struggling in their marriage. And so as he begins this conversation with them, and, and he begins to really understand their struggles and, and, and where they're hurting and, and how he can begin to help them, he asks the question of Mary. He said, Mary, tell me, when you were dating, what drew you to Mark? What was it that made Mark so attractive to you that you would want to spend the rest of your life with him? And she said this, Mark was always there to help me with everything. He helped me at school with, with schoolwork. He, he helped me with my chores at home. He, he helped me with projects that I would get involved with. He was the most wonderful person I ever met. You see, but after we got married, he didn't help me at all. So Gary looked over at Mark and said, Mark, tell me, what was it that made Mary feel loved by you when you were dating? And he paused and he understood and knew where the conversation was going. 
He said, well, helping her with things and, and doing things with her. So, Dr. Chapman replied, you can understand how she would begin to feel unloved when you stopped helping her with things, with life. You see, Mary's love language was acts of service. And this story serves as a great picture of how love is expressed in all of our lives through acts of service towards one another. An act of service is doing something for someone that they would like or need to have done as an expression of love for them. These acts of service require knowledge, thought, planning, time, energy, and effort. As I mentioned earlier, my experience in Panama, I learned to be aware and I learned to, to anticipate and I learned to come along and to act. And that's what Dr. Chapman is saying here, is that acts of service require us to have a knowledge of what's going on and how we can help and, and to think through how we can come alongside and help someone. It, it takes time to plan and, and, and time to commit to accomplishing. It takes our effort and our energy. And when we commit to acts of service with each other and with our neighbors, with our community, what we are telling the world, what we are telling our spouse, our, our children, our neighbors, those that we go to church with is, I love you. And I'm acting in a way to demonstrate and to show that. These acts of love, however, we must always be reminded, they are acts that are a choice. These acts of service cannot be coerced. They must be done as a positive expression of love. They cannot be done out of some sense of manipulation, fear, guilt, or resentment. For you see, to use acts of service as a way to manipulate and even to gain favor over someone else is really not an act of love, is it? But maybe the epitome of selfishness. Acts of love cannot be forced and coerced. Offering acts of service as an expression of love must be choices that we make each day in relationship to family, to friends, to neighbors, co-workers, and even strangers. And sometimes we need to, again, take the thought and have the knowledge. Here's a question that you might tuck in the front part of your mind, not in the back part of your mind, but in the front part of your mind. Maybe you could ask this question to your spouse, to your, your child, your parent, to your co-worker, to your neighbor. Maybe you could ask it to the person sitting next to you in your pew or in your life group. If I could do one act of service for you, if I could serve you in one specific way, what would that be? How could I serve you this week? How, how could I help you this week? How can I come alongside of you and, and love and serve and, and help you this week or today? You see, love wants to inquire. And love wants to understand and know. For you see, it was for freedom to serve one another that Christ has set us free. You're, you've been set free to serve, to help, to come alongside of others. Because that's how Christ has loved us. I love the story that Tony Campolo tells. It's a real life story. It's, it's a hard story. 
Some of you may have found yourself in a position similar to this, but it's the story of a woman who was deserted by her first husband. She was deserted by her husband for another woman. She was left with plenty of money. You can see this, this man, this husband, he justified himself because he, he, he made sure she had enough money to take care of herself and to, to have the kind of lifestyle that, that had been provided for her. And so he washed his hands and he, he went away with his newfound love. Devastated. Devastated this woman. Sir, she had plenty of money. But she was left emotionally dead. She feared she would have to live out her life with no meaning, no purpose, no love. But after a season of counseling, her pastor suggested that she contact the missionaries of charity and Mother Teresa in Calcutta, India. Money was no object for her. They thought her getting away into a new place and, and going and serving those who were dying in India and, and seeing the example and witness of, of Mother Teresa would be a, a great respite for her. It would be a time of, of renewal. It would be a time for her to, to serve others and to focus on others as the Spirit of God continued to work healing into her life. And so she got real excited about this possibility. And she had heard that Mother Teresa was very faithful in returning mail that was sent to her. So she crafted this beautiful letter and, and sent it off to Mother Teresa and asking if she could come and she could help out. And in her mind, she, she anticipated, she, she thought, no, this is how long the letter would take to get there and, and a few days for her to answer and then to send it back. And, and that deadline in her own mind came and went. And she began to be frustrated. She just knew that Mother Teresa would, would return and respond to her, her reply to her letter. Day after day, she'd go to the mailbox and there wouldn't be a letter until one day, one day, she went and there it was, an envelope from, from Calcutta, India. And she ran inside and she opened up the letter and here are the words that were written. Find your own Calcutta. Love, Mother Teresa. You see, you don't have to go to India to find people in great need. You don't have to go to India in order to serve people that are hurting and dying and suffering in life. Church, look around you. Look around you in this church. Look around you in your community, in your family. Look around you. People are dying physically, emotionally, relationally. There are many opportunities to serve and to make a difference in people's lives. Here at church, there's so many opportunities. Kids Hope, Sunday suppers, our clothes closet, our, our food pantry, our Hands for Harvey trip, which is coming up, working with children or youth, volunteering at the Family Life Center, being a life group leader. All over town, there are nonprofits and ministries that focus uniquely on the needs of serving people in specific ways. And here's the secret again that in loving and serving others, you will find meaning for your own life. You see, we are, are made whole when we forget about ourselves and we reach out to love and to serve others. And this morning, 
We recognize and celebrate those who are called to serve our church uniquely as deacons. In the early church, there arose a need. And the apostles gathered the congregation together and they invited them to select from among themselves servants who were full of the Spirit and of wisdom. The disciples said, set these folks apart, lay hands over them and call them to service. Today we call these men and women servants, deacons. In 1 Timothy, Paul describes the character of deacons. They're men and women of dignity. They're temperate and faithful in all things. Those who serve well as deacons are respected as men and women of mature and confident faith in Christ Jesus. And in just a few moments, we will offer a blessing and share in the laying on of the hands of these three deacons that you, that we as a church, have called out from among ourselves. Miles and Chuck and Ann have demonstrated a love for the church and for others through their acts of service. They've demonstrated a spiritual maturity and presence that can be described as being full of the Spirit of God and of wisdom. Again, this is a holy moment in the life of our church as we gather to ordain and commission new deacons. And to say that all of our deacons are to offer an example to each of us of what it means to serve and to love one another. But before these servants are ordained, we must each have the opportunity to respond to the invitation of God to serve one another. Because this is the example that Christ has given us and today serves as a jumping off point for us to love others through our acts of service. The first question we all must answer is, have you received Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior? If not, let today be the day that you jump into His arms of love and of grace and of mercy. Maybe there's some here today that are struggling with finding the meaning to life or just being able to express your love to others. In Christ Jesus, you've been set free to serve, to help, to minister to others. And in so doing, you experience a meaningful, purpose-filled life. For you see, to love one another means that we are to serve one another. Let's pray. Lord, today as we make our commitments to You, may we find today as that jumping off point for a life of faith in Christ Jesus and for a life of love and service to one another. In Your name we pray. Amen. As we sing, I'll be here at the front to receive those that would come. Come for salvation. Would come to say, I'm renewing and recommitting my life to serve one another in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing.